for me, as you can imagine. And the decision to put her in a home full time was a decision I was not in a hurry to make. So I, I delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. Uh, the social services, the doctors, psychiatrists, etc. were pretty much saying that I needed to put her in now. And I wanted to wait and wait, and I did. And in fact, in retrospect, I probably waited too long. Uh, probably should have uh, put her in just about two or three months ago. We did find a home, but it didn't work out. In fact, it was a disaster. Um, Jeanette was not happy there, and they weren't happy with her. I won't go into detail, but it was terrible. It was unbearable for me. So I had to take her back home again about five months ago. And then it's a question of where does she go? <laughs> uh, because it has to suit her and it has to suit them. It's a two-way deal. So there was a little bit of trial and error and, and sussing things out. Thank God we found somewhere. Found somewhere that she's happy with, I'm happy with, they are happy with. So that's a massive Massive decision for me. I need to be happy or it's not going to be happening. I'm not going to sign nothing until I'm happy with that. So thank God for that. It's not far from here, just down the road. And for whatever reason, uh, she's settled. So I don't think she will come back out again. Her abilities have deteriorated since you last saw her. Probably about 50% less. Her speech is gone, but her consciousness is still there. Still very much switched on in every other way. So for me, this is a massive milestone. I mean, I feel like a weight has been taken off my shoulder, if you know what I mean. Uh, a burden has been removed, and at the same time, I can sleep because I know she's happy. If she's not happy, I'm not happy. Amen. I can't rest. I can't focus on ministry or anything else. And neither could you if you were in my situation. So I thank God. I mean, I really seriously thank God that after a very long time, peace, um, because that's what she is. She's very peaceful, very happy. As long as I can walk out of that place knowing that, I'm fine. So thank you beyond words for your uh, support through this two and a half year period. It's over. Okay? The book's not finished, but the chapter, penultimate chapter, is definitely finished. And that's what I want to talk about. <laughs> these things happen. You know what it says of Israel? These things happened to Israel. Why? So that other people would learn. And this is part of my life. This is part of my ministry. So all these things happen for a very good reason. So that you can then articulate the problems of life, the difficulties of life to everyone you meet. So welcome to the club, huh? <laughs> I want to start a new series today. For you and your family and your friends, for your neighbors. Doesn't matter what age you are. Doesn't matter what you're going through, good or bad. Today's series is pertinent to all of us. It's on that great book, Job. <laughs> Not many people smile when you say you're going to preach about Job. You know, it's a very serious book, isn't it? And it gets maybe a worse reputation than it deserves. I wanted to give an introduction to the book this morning, but I'm not going to. Because I found someone who can do a far better job of an introduction to Job than me. You're going to like this. Where do you see this guy? This is an introduction to the book of Job. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Stephen. I think we can give him a round of applause, huh? <laughs> when I grow up, I'm going to preach like that. Amen. Let's take the message as a foundation. There's an awful lot in what that young man said. I was blown away 
absolutely blown away when I heard that. Um, didn't look at his notes once. Did you notice that? Absolutely astonishing. Straight off the top of his head. If a child, you can't do that without understanding it. If a child can understand Job, then God help me. I, I have not understood the book of Job when I was first a pastor. I bought this huge book by John Calvin. You may have seen it. Um, Sermons on the Life of Job by John Calvin. Well, I may as well have bought something in Chinese because I couldn't have a clue. What's that about? I thought I might gain something from it, but I'm not ready. I wasn't ready to even begin something like that. It was too deep for me, too much for me. I didn't have enough life experience at that point. And so I'm quite astonished by that. Now I do. (laughs) And now I understand the heart of this book. And most of us here, because I know you, most of us here have an enormous need to understand Job. It's just in, I've preached here about 550 times, you know that? preached here in Glasgow about 550 times. How many sermons were on Job? One. (laughs) One. One. And all that time. That's amazing, isn't it? So we're going to get a whole load of them now. (laughs) You see, the question that Job is faced with in the midst of a calamity, and all of us have calamities. I can go around this room. I don't think there's one person. I mean, even by the time you get to three or four years old, something's gone wrong. You've lost your toys. You've, you know, something's, something hasn't gone like you planned. You get saved and you've got this image of this great God. And sometimes your life and what you're going through doesn't seem quite to match that. And that can be very confusing. And you're then confronted with this age-old question. If God is good, and if God is great, then if he's good, he only wants to do me good. And if he's great, he can solve every problem. So the problem, the age-old question like Job faced, like I faced in these recent years, and you face undoubtedly, and if you don't, you will, is how do I figure this out? God, if you're good, why do good things happen, or why do bad things happen to good people? If you're good. This shouldn't have happened to me. This shouldn't be happening to me. You with me? And if you're great, if I'm supposed to believe these two things, my life doesn't match up to my belief. It doesn't match up. I can't make it work. Help me. And so Christians in all generations have been stuck with this quandary. And really, you're faced with a decision that all of us sooner or later have to make. The decision is A... Shall I change my doctrine? Shall I say that God is actually not good? And some people do that. Some people believe in all sorts of wacky belief systems. They reject scripture. That's a sad road to take. Because that's a false road. That's a false path. It will lead you only to destruction. So I can't do that. I'm not willing to change my belief in scripture. I believe in the infallible word of God. The other choice, the only choice all of us have is what? Faith. To walk by faith, to believe that no matter what the circumstances may be presenting me, no matter how I may feel, it's still not right if it doesn't line up with Scripture. So Scripture is paramount. The fact is, folks, bad things do happen to good people. Every day. 
bad things happen to good people. And, you know, when bad things happen to bad people, we've got no problem. Right? When bad things happen to bad people, we think we've got it all figured out. That's the judgment of God. That's what it is. They deserved it. And we don't have any trauma over that. But we have big trauma when bad things happen to good people. Amen. Amen. It's problematic. It doesn't make sense. If God is good, if God is great, I can't figure this out, God. And this creates a major dilemma. <laughs> to be honest with you, the faster you get through it, the better. Because it's a, it's a problem that is not going to go away for you or go away for me. My God, have I learned some things in the last couple of years. Dear me. Wow. You can't buy it. There's nowhere you can get it. Can't buy it. It's more priceless than anything on earth. It's worth everything. It's worth everything you've got. That's what it's worth. That's how priceless it is, in my conclusion. The book of Job is, is fascinating for many reasons. And this is one of the main reasons. It's the earliest book ever written. First book ever written was the book of Job. And what they mean by that, if you study any Bible commentaries, they will explain that to you. Genesis 1-11 to is the story of history, creation, the fall, you know that. But Job actually comes just before Abraham. Okay, So it's kind of interjected there, and it's an isolated book. Now, give me your full attention. <laughs> God's a good God. And the first thing on his mind for you, the first thing was not about salvation. The first problem that a book was written about was how do my children in the future, how are they going to handle it when bad things happen? What are they going to do? And I believe God, looking down the, 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 the funnel of history, knew that this one problem is going to see so many Christians walk away because they cannot handle the realities of life. And there's so much contradictory theology out there. Goodness knows. Very well-intentioned people come up with all sorts of things, but it's often wrong. It's often sadly wrong. I don't want to upset you folks, but what I'm saying to you is true. Your suffering means very little to God. doesn't mean he's not good. It just means he's much higher than you are. And your pains, your trials, your agonies, your anguish, I'm sorry, but in my opinion, your pain is of very, very little interest. God. It doesn't mean he's bad. He's not bad. He's totally good. It's just he sees from a different perspective. He sees from a higher level. And he knows that even though you as a human being may be stressed out about this or stressed out about that, he knows that his goal is greater and what he is going to achieve through your momentary trials is of much more importance than you realize even the salvation of your soul. But we don't get it. We don't get it. We hear so much preaching, which is namby-pamby, which is patronizing. So much preaching, which is man-centered. All about us. And not God-centered. Not focused on His glory, which is ultimately Job's secret mission. Job's secret calling in the midst of extreme trauma, 
with his family, yet he praised God. Remarkable individual. Bad things happen to good people. And if you are committed to God, and I believe that 99% of you here are, I know you, then I'm afraid your, your father will discipline you and your father will bring you through points and times of life which are going to cause you to change and grow. And I'm sorry to say that some of those occasions are going to be painful. That's life. That's just the way it is. And when those occasions come, we all say the same word. Why? 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 You know, why? Why me? Why do I have to suffer? Why is this not right? Why didn't you stop that? Why, why, why? And the world, you know the world out there, there's rationalism and extinction. I can never say that word. Uh, rationalism just says that there is an explanation for everything. And people like that. Human beings like that, especially men. We like to have an explanation, something logical, something I can understand. But the, the problem with, with Scripture is faith. Is what you're actually left with. And very often, the why is not explained. Very often. Many Christians live and die without knowing why this happened or that happened. A few years ago, excuse me, I'm going to base today's message both for you and for many churches around the world that follow us. I'm going to base it on on my story because I want to bring you up to speed for that. And it's the example that God has presented to you, and you will understand it better. So forgive me for using Jeanette and myself as an example, but it's the best example we have. You're not going to believe this. I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny. About how many years ago? Four years ago now, Jeanette broke her hip. Remember? That was the beginning of her brain problem because it it kick-started the whole issue. When she broke her hip, a person left the church. A person couldn't handle it, you see. Why didn't she break her hip? That's, That's God. That's judgment. She's being judged. It's not right. And we tried to appease that person and say, you need to slow down a little bit. But no, they left the church. I was very sad about that. I wasn't actually here at the time. And this is a funny thing. I had one congregation, I tell you, seldom been so angry in my life. This family in one culture, which will remain nameless, the big church, but 300 people, had pastored them for well, about eight years. And... This one couple, their child got sick and died. Three, four years old. Do you know what the congregation did to that couple? Ostracized them. I couldn't believe it. I heard, what, I said, what are you doing? The child died. Judgment. I what? What? And the couple wouldn't come back. I said, come back, come back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebuke these guys for this. We're not going back. I thought, that is, that's disgraceful. What, what, what way are you thinking? Same congregation. A guy fell off a waterfall. A friend of mine. He died. Smashed his skull. I lost about five or six members over that. A church across town burnt down. Right, John? Fire in the church. How many members did Alec Gillis lose? Dozens and dozens of people walk out because there was a fire in the church. And they said, it's the judgment. You want to get a life. What, what, what is going on inside... The minds of some people. And that's what the book is about. That's why it's one of the primary building blocks of a stable Christian life, which I'll explain in a moment. Be careful of what, be careful of the way you're thinking, guys. 
You know, there's a guy in the Bible called Jacob. And Jacob was one of the most determined individuals to be blessed. One night, the Lord came near him. And it says that Jacob wrestled the entire night. Remember? It's some determination in that guy to get a blessing. How did this situation finish? He broke his hip. He broke his hip. I mean, could you see that outcome? This is someone who's just been blessed, right? He's just achieved an enormous goal. But for the life of me to this day, and even standing here right now, I haven't got a clue why. I don't know why. I know one thing. Someone who was able to strut in like Jacob, cocky, cheeky all his life, limped out. That's all I know. What happened? Why? God knows. Something needed to be changed. A dislocated hip in those days is no joke. Right? And he became limping for the rest of his life. So, all of us, especially if you're sincere and you're sincere in following God and going somewhere with your Christian life, all of us are going to face the hand of God, the, the corrective, instructional, creative hand of God, interfere, intervene with our lives. And when he does, you need to look at who your friends are. Because Job, Job's friends weren't up to much, were they? Right? When God intervenes, like that couple in that church when their child died. Phew, need to get a new batch of friends, guys. It wasn't good. And as they observed Job, as they observed everything being taken away from Job, they decided, well, you, you heard the young preacher there, they decided that this is the judgment of God, and they started to pester Job, bombard Job, just fess up, just confess it. And then they went even further, and they began to make up reasons and sins and dream up. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? Did you do that? And Job is, is a fantastic character, you know. He stood his ground, and he said an amazing thing. He, he said, no. He's not claiming to be perfect. But he said, no. That is not the reason. And it, it, it's a fantastic thing. In the first chapter, you know, if you, if you read the first chapter, it says this. That Job was a righteous man, blameless in all his ways. And every day, every day, remember that, Job would go before God with a sacrifice. Remember? In case one of his kids had sinned. Every day, Job would go before God with blood and lay down a sacrifice before the altar of God. What's that? What's the picture? Communion. Daily communion. So, it's a very important point. How did Job manage to withstand the allegations of his friends? Because he had an inner relationship with the living God. That was strengthened every day. So you can imagine, Job gets up, the blood is there, he makes a sacrifice, it's his daily communion, and he knows that God is in his spirit. He knows he has a living relationship, and on the day of the catastrophe, no doubt the same, because it says he did this continually. On the day of the catastrophe, Job gets up, he makes his sacrifice, the Lord is in him, and then the, the word reaches his ears. Everything you have has been destroyed and removed from you. And the friends turn and say, Ah! <laughs> now we know you've done something wrong. But Job says, Ah, 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 ah. No, no, no. 
No, I'm not perfect. But the Spirit of the Lord is in me. It's in me this morning. It's in me now. And I do not accept your critique of my problem or my situation. There's another reason. And the whole book it just re- revolves around this kind of life and accusation against him. And he has to stand his ground. It's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable how he got through all of that and still stood his ground. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So, Jeanette has got a brain disease. It's, it's a terminal disease and it's eating her up every day. Now tell me, folks, who gave her that disease? God or the devil? Anybody say God? Well, I disagree with you all then. <laughs> God gave her that disease. God put the disease upon her. Not the devil. Got it? (laughs) Okay, no problem. Keep listening. So Job loses everything. Everything's gone. Nothing left. No family, no home. Nothing. And he gets down on his knees. We just heard it. And Job says this. The Lord giveth and the devil takes away? No. The Lord giveth And the Lord has also taken away. He didn't blame the devil. In fact, in chapter 1 of Job, it shows great insight into the theology of these days. Even these, it's called prehistory. Even in this time of prehistory, you've got a man here in Job who understands how revelation and walking with God understands the mechanics of God. In chapter 1, it explains how the devil is on a lead, right? The devil is on a lead. He can only do what God permits him to do, right? And that's what Job understood. The devil is a gopher for God. And Job knew that behind the decision, behind the actions of the devil was who? God. God. And he accepted that. And I can tell you that one fact makes me happy. <laughs> the fact that makes me happy. And no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter how critical, how terrible you feel about life or losses in life or whatever, you can always take consolation in the fact that God is supreme, all-powerful, almighty, always good. And no matter what is happening, I can therefore accept it. You understand? I can accept it because I know that devil is on a lead. And Job's famous line, he turns and he says, Shall we accept good from the hand of God and not accept adversity is the word. It's not evil. It's not moral evil. It's calamity. Actually, (coughs) excuse me. I wish I could say that Job is an unusual character. He is in his response, but he's not in his calamity. Just a few months ago, I was in Colombo, in Sri Lanka, where the tsunami hit, you know, walking along the beach there and you can, you're walking over the foundations of the houses that are no longer there. They're gone. They were all washed away and nobody has rebuilt them. And it's very touching, very moving. This was somebody's home, you know. Uh, 248,000 people killed in one day. Just like Job. Many a guy's gone to work there, you know. Left his grandparents in their house, his parents in their house, his six kids in his house. And work and they get a phone call. All your kids are dead. All your stuff is gone. Your parents, everything's gone. A bit like Job. 
And I don't mean just one person. I mean tens of thousands of people on this earth just a couple of years ago got exactly that message. Right? So it's not unusual. Not unusual. And you all have your own tragedies. But I warn you about friendship. I thank God for the brothers that I work with, particularly in Singapore, because there's a lot of very mature, wise guys there with a lot of experience. And it really helps me through choppy waters. Remember the Apostle Paul. He began to follow very hard after God. So they whipped him five times. Not a very pretty picture tied to a post covered in blood. Don't look very successful there, Paul. He was shipwrecked many times, thrown out of city, beaten and left for dead one day. And the Corinthian church heard of all Paul's troubles. And 1 Corinthians, what did they say? Told you he's not an apostle. That's what they said. We told you this would never happen to someone if they were a man of God. And we still, because of prosperity preaching, we still have this wonky perspective that someone who is wealthy must be righteous. It must be the blessing of God. Not true, right? Oh, no. Plenty of Christians can be very wicked, but also very wealthy. And there's plenty of Christians who are very righteous and very good and holy who are penniless. There's plenty of Christians who are good Christians, good believers, but they're sick. When healthy people, sorry, wicked people are healthy. And the psalmist goes through all this. Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Why do they succeed in their ways? What's up, God? David had the same problem as Job. The same issues to get through. And I, I thank God for this book, man. I'm, I'm not finished by any way, shape or form. I've had an emotional roller coaster, let me tell you, for especially this last two or three uh, months, but it's over. It's absolutely over. I'm, I'm over the moon with it. But my, oh my, can I understand Job? This, was, this is Job's emotional chart right here. So don't feel bad. See, if you go up and down because of the problems of life, it's okay. So did he. Even him. So if, if Job had ups and downs, I'm all right. Amen. Job was stable for a very long time. Very long time walking with God. I was too. 20-something years without a problem. Stable, long period of stability. And it looks so good, so normal. And, you know, the problem is, don't be fooled by what you see on, on the surface. Job saw himself, let me just get this out here. Job saw himself a bit like this. Look, he was self-righteous. Clear water. The, the friend said, there's sin in you somewhere. Job, no, 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 no. No sin in me somewhere. Yeah, 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 there's sin in you somewhere. And Job felt that he was clear water. Actually, deep within Job, there was a sin. Self-righteousness and pride. And he was such a good guy that God decided he was going to make him better. <laughs> he cared. And so the suffering came down and started to, this is suffering, this is turmoil, this is crisis. And all of a sudden, deep within Job, buried down inside him, was pride, self-righteousness, a lot of wickedness. And it all got stirred up through suffering. God's megaphone, C.S. Lewis called it. And this very stable on the surface guy, all of a sudden starts to have an old seismograph here. 
of emotional reaction, just like me. So he responds really well. He starts, you know, the first three chapters. He praises God. The Bible says, and in all this, Job did not sin. In those first three chapters, he praises. But you know what? In the very next verses, guess what happens? He plummets into depression. Can't cope with it. And then he gets his act together and he's back up in praising God. And then he's back down. And about nine cycles. He's over and over and over between adulation of God, praise of God, and the depths of depression. And there he is, up and down, and then, hallelujah, when you get to chapter 42, he's back and stable again for the rest of his days. But look at the level of stability. He entered one person, he came out a very different person. Completely changed individual. Job's suffering, the loss of everything, really meant nothing much to God. The achievement of his character, the refining of his character, meant everything to God. And at all costs, that was going to be achieved. So, what do you and I do? How do we handle it in our lives? I want you to think about your current crisis. We've all got one. And I want you to consider your friends, particularly those like Job's friends, who were incredibly judgmental, you cannot, you know, I don't have this problem. I don't, I couldn't tell you how little of an opinion I have of people's opinions of me. It's just my nature. I don't, you can try and judge me. I don't accept your judgment. I believe in communion. So my relationship, just like my father, my relationship remains strong no matter what happens. And I will never let you or any other congregation or VFC or anybody on this earth judge me. You won't do it. I won't let you. I don't need that from you. I'll judge myself. And I'll be much more harsh than you, by the way. That's the only place to live. And I warn you, when these crises come, Job didn't need those friends, did he? (laughs) What a help they were. Goodness me. So I'm warning you, friends. Life inevitably will bring troubles to you. A few of you have just already today, this morning, shared with me various crises that you're going through. Serious problems. We all get them. You need to surround yourself with people who understand that. And who can see beyond the moment. Listen very carefully right now. Job's friends made one big mistake. They said, when calamity comes upon someone, it's only because of sin. That's a mistake. It's not only because of sin. There are many reasons... There are many reasons why calamity comes. And one of the defects in the theology of this day was that that was their belief. Well, that's not scriptural. What does David say? When you afflicted me, I was blessed. Okay, and you can read actually, which I'll do maybe next week. You can read in Job where it actually goes into detail in that. We just need to be careful. Pastor Sushil Alexander a few weeks back. You know, many of us here like Andrew Womack. I like him very much. One of my favorite preachers. But I disagree with him on one thing. That God doesn't make people sick. Because <laughs> I got a Bible. Sorry, Andrew. You're one of my favorite people. But I, you, you're, you're not God's word. And I see in scripture, as you'll see next week, that God does permit these things. And does allow them. Because the pain is not important to him. The refining of your character is what's important. So, today we can talk about this, and that's a fantastic thing, because all of us at some point will need what we're being taught today. Everybody in the room. You're going to need it sometime. 
So if it's rosy in your garden, that's fine. No problem. But put this in your pocket and save it for another day. Okay? Because that's life. That's the crisis of life and that's just the way it is. Especially if one sets one's heart on a future. On a hope and a future and a direction. Could I have the picture up please, Stefan? Thank you. This, these guys are the new team that's just been formed actually in Singapore. don't know if I've got another one. Thanks, Everson. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Thanks. This group is a fantastic group of guys. Uh, most of them you will have probably seen before. This is the boss. <laughs> so do what you're told or you get shot. You know what I mean? That's Pastor Rick. Um, I'll start here. Andrew Che is the general overseer for missions. So he controls what we do whilst we're in Singapore. This was taken last Monday afternoon. This is Pastor George. He's currently in Ghana. <sighs> he's had a gun to his head twice in about the last year. The first time, four guys jumped out and, and ambushed him and his associate, his assistant pastor, and the church treasurer, and ambushed their jeep, got, them, got him on the ground, put the gun to his head, his head. And the, uh, the boss of the gangsters shouted, who's the senior pastor? That's what happened. Who's the senior pastor? And he said, I am. And the gangsters said, don't shoot him then. <laughs> they were frightened of God. Gangsters. And they said, shoot the other one. Bang. Shot the assistant pastor. Right there. Bang. Dead. Next guy. He said, who's he? Treasurer. They started to beat him. And they beat and they beat and they beat and they beat and they beat. And then they said to George, give us the money. And they had money. That's why they ambushed him. Then it happened again about a month later. It was in Ghana. That's George. <laughs> this is Julius. He's the superintendent of Assemblies of God for Uganda. Has about 30,000 members under him in VFC. Alan let you know, Alan has invited me to work with him in Vladivostok in, in Russia. This is a huge invitation for us and one that I cannot afford to blow. I've asked him many times to help me with this, but he's a very important guy, a very busy guy. But this time, for whatever reason... He said he would commit to help. So next week, I'm going to try and get a prayer letter done for you. I need your help. I need you to pray. That's what I need you to do, to pray. If I can get the link with Alan right, it will result in tens of thousands of people being saved. I promise you. I know the story here. He's promised me he's going to give me his army. He has uh, 25,000 pastors, this guy has. So he says, I will come to Vladivostok. He's given me work to do. This is a very, very good group of people, indeed, very good. We sit in a room for three months a year, actually, and just talk and discuss what's going on around the world. Why am I saying this? Oh, there I am. <laughs> what do you think they think of my problem? Nothing. Nothing. Light and momentary <laughs> afflictions. Keep walking, boy. Keep walking. Welcome. Keep walking. Welcome to the club. Costs you everything. Costs you everything. It's priceless, but it costs you everything. One of these guys, it wasn't Rick, it wasn't Roy, one of these guys asked me out to just talk to you. I want to talk to you. I've heard what's going on in your life. Come on, and just have a cup of coffee. So I sat down, a bit unlike this guy, but he said, Tell me what's happened. So I told him, This is what's happened. Quite severe. And as I was talking to him, an emotion, an emotion began to rise up in him. 
as I told him everything, what do you think the emotion was? Didn't happen. No. I told him I, I am losing my wife. She can't even talk to me now. I'd give up my home. I've given up everything. Just in a very short period. It's a real pruning time. Guess what the emotion was? Envy. I didn't expect that. It was unmistakable. Unmistakable. I thought, oh, you're envy. You're full of envy towards me. So I went for a walk. I said, God, did you see that? And I had to, I had to think the thing. Oh, I see. I got it, got it, got it, got it. I got it. He'd done the calculations in his head. He was thinking, your trials are temporary. But your future looks pretty exciting from where I'm sitting. Very mature pastor, you see, with lots of experience. And I suddenly dawned on me, there's only one thing worse than going through what I've just gone through. And that's going through nothing. Because if you're going through nothing, you're going nowhere. Do you understand? And he was mature, you see, very mature. Thousands of people under him. He sees it all the time. So he looked at me and he thinks, my God, I'm not right with God. Because right now, everything's rosy for me. Nothing's gone down, man. But I see big change coming up for you. And he wanted that. And that kind of encouraged me in a strange way, you understand. Because there's hope in a future. When I moved into our house in, in Bears Den, many of you have been there. In fact, nearly all of you have been there, I think. The neighbor came over to welcome me into the area. His name's Stuart. And he's smoking a pipe, you know. And uh, he wanted to tell me how safe the area was. And he said something to me which really changed my whole life. Changed my perspective. I never forgot it. It bugged me. He turned to me and he said, oh, it's a very safe area. <laughs> he said, I've been here for 26 years and nothing's ever happened. And you can take that two ways. I heard it and I said, okay, that's fantastic. Nice to be in a safe area. But I walked away thinking, do you know what? I am not going to be here in 26 years' time with nothing happening. I'm not, I'm not joking, folks. I began to pray. I didn't like that statement because I felt it was almost prophetic. I thought, no way. No way. I am not going to be here with a picket fence and a rose garden in 26 years' time. I think there's a bit more in life. Hello? I think there's a bit more around the world. In all the continents, in all the countries. I think there's a bit more to it than that. And I'm not going to sell myself short. Or come in, you know, drastically underachieving the goals that God would set for me. So I began to pray. It's a dangerous prayer. That's up to you. You can pray your own prayers. But I began to pray a prayer back then. That was eight years ago. Yeah, eight years ago. I'm not staying here. I'm not staying in this house with 1.2 children. Rose Garden, no Lord, I do not want it. That scares the life out of me. I've had a taste of the kingdom, and that's what I want. You get one brief life, one short life, and I'm not going to be weeding here, if you know what I mean. So bring it on. Bring it on. Now, it's a dangerous prayer. It's up to you. But I believe Job had something similar in his heart. He had a wish for the life in all its fullness that God promises. But you're going to have to be willing to take a lot of pain in order to get there. It's totally free, but it will cost you everything you've got. Totally free. I don't believe there's enough people in the kingdom. I know there's not enough people in the kingdom. That's what we're trying to find. 
There's not enough leaders out there crying out for leaders in all the different countries of the world. But for you to become a leader, it means that jar has to be stirred. It means the hand of God has to come into your life. And some of you scare me because there's nothing happening. God's not wasting his energy. There's no point in him stirring you up. There's no point in his intervention because you would curse God. The thing that Job didn't do. If the pain came, if the trouble came, I wish I could say that advancement in the kingdom, that changing in the kingdom could come another way. It comes many ways. But primarily, I think we're all a bit like Job. That sooner or later, the jar has to be stirred. I'm not going to deal with these points this week. I'm going to deal with them in the weeks to come. I'll just read them for today. Number one, be encouraged. If your life, if you have trauma, be encouraged because at least something's happening. Amen? Amen. And if you're going to, that's why, I mean, have you ever wondered why the Apostle Paul said, consider it pure joy when you go through trials and tribulations? Well, that's his point. Because at least you know that God is active and at least you know you're going somewhere. So be encouraged. Secondly, remember that God knows. God knows. God knows my situation. I believe God cares more than any person I've ever met. He's totally devoted to my well-being, to Jeanette's well-being. Totally devoted, ultimately, to our salvation. And I accept every moment of every day. I accept it with a thank you. I accept that you are the all-wise God. What do I know? Chapter 39. Who is this that has spoken words without knowledge? Exactly, Job. Just be quiet. Accept the hand of God, no matter what it brings. The rod and the staff. Shall we receive the staff and not the rod? What did Jonathan Edwards say? Kiss the rod! So invite God. That's a dangerous prayer. I know, I've prayed it. (laughs) This is the result. Pray that, my advice to you is pray it because you only got one life. I say, God, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Whatever. Whatever. I don't know. You know. So I hand it over to you. Hey, it's okay. Jesus, how long have we got left anyway? Five, ten, fifteen, I don't know. Got no idea. Got no idea. He's the superintendent of Assemblies of God for Sri Lanka. He also has a huge church and he showed us a video. His name is Dishan. He showed us a video there last week of the Buddhist monks breaking into one of his churches with, you know, poles, machetes and they ran through the place. The Christians all ran out the back door. They all got away. No one was killed. And the police, the violence, I mean, the sheer violence. And he, as he was testifying to us, you could see the, the stress on his mind, you know. They're going to kill our people. What are we going to do? Number two, God knows. Okay? God knows. Let God lead your life and just take it. Number three, God sets limits on your trial. Hey, does it seem like it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. God sets limits on your trial. That's funny, isn't it? Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like there's limits. Doesn't seem like it's a... Short old thing here. No way. It seems unbelievable, doesn't it? How long will this go on, right? Years and years. And I'll talk about that next week. Seek growth, not vindication. Never mind what people think. Who cares what people think? They'll be gone, right? They'll come and go from your life. Don't worry about people's opinions. It's of absolutely no importance to you. Don't make it that way. 
The same people you care about or care about what they think, they don't give a hoot about you, right? Right? So don't care about that. Have no concern for that. You, you concentrate on God. Number five, the why of why things happen to you may never be known to you. You may never know in this life. You might do. But in most cases, people don't know what's, what has happened or why it's happened. Trust in God in the face of anguish. And like the, the, the chart we just looked at there. See, folks, I know you. And I know you all have traumas and different issues, so many of you in your life. It's easy to stand here on a good day like Job and be on top and say, Hallelujah! It's not so easy when days drag into weeks, drag into months, drag into years, and you've still got the same problem. Right. Not so easy then. And suddenly your bravery can leak and you don't feel so strong. And many of us, right, you know what I'm talking about. You can have good moments and moments of faith. And Job was like that. He's, in fact, Job's wife was like that, remember? She stood with him. There's no mention of her criticizing. She was pretty good. Up until the fact, the point where Job got sick, remember? And when Job got sick, then she lost it and she said, curse God and die. So she had been strong, but when it turns into weeks and months, she lost her strength. So you need to prepare yourself for the ups, the downs, and accept that. Don't be afraid of an emotional roller coaster. I think it's only because we're human, right? Don't be afraid of that. Understand that stability comes in the end. If you don't abort the process. So trust God in the face of anguish. Remember God will reward you in due course if you hold on. Point eight is very important. You can only emerge when you've learned the lesson. Otherwise you're going to stick. Some people come and go from this church every five minutes. Going to other churches trying to avoid their issue. Right? Avoiding God. Running away from the situation. That's no good. You need to learn whatever lesson God is teaching you through your individual crisis. Accept it. And lastly, thank God. Thank God in the midst of your trials. Thank God in the midst of your pain. And I, with all my heart, in full sincerity and truth, I say to you this morning, guys, I thank God with all my heart for everything. I accept everything and I thank Him for everything. Leanne, I was in Bulgaria uh, a few weeks ago. And you know, when God wants to tell you something, sometimes He sends two people, it happens to me a lot, send two people the same day with the same word or the same something. This guy picked me up at the airport and uh, he knows me. I don't know him. He said, I prayed for him and stuff. I can't remember. He said, I asked if I could pick you up because I wanted to take you to the church and just say thank you for everything. And he said this. He said, in my life, I have two books which control my decisions and my everyday walk with God. The Bible and what's love got to do with it. I thought, praise the Lord. I'm delighted to hear you say that. Good. A couple of days later, my interpreter, it's always the same girl, Yulia. They're having a cup of coffee and she said, you know what? I have two books never far from me. My Bible and what's love got to do with it. These things have kept me safe and kept me walking with God. I was very pleased, Leanne, because the word is doing good. Why do I tell you that? Because we've got another book. <laughs> Sorry. Number three. New Horizons. Chapter one. A strange thank you. And today I give a very strange thank you to God for everything in my life. Thank you. Thank you. 
A thousand times, thank you. And until you do that, friend, your lesson is not learned. And you remain in that cycle of ups and downs, which can go on indefinitely because God is a good God. Don't be afraid of Him. Don't run away from Him. People can... Isn't this beautiful? These are my favorite flower. I love lilies. When you, like Paul, begin to experience the chastening of God, it's not nice. But this thing is very limited. If you've ever seen in the tropics, they're massive. And as long as this remains like this, not a lot you can do really. So the pruning starts. And then you look like an idiot. You'll get mocked like Job. You'll get misunderstood. Maybe by your own family. But ultimately, he is the vine dresser. And you just got to let go and let God. And one by one, the things of life begin to fall away at some point. And you, when you get to about this stage, <laughs> you start to say, is that it? Uh, no, that's not it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, when God moves into somebody's house, we think he's going to redecorate. But he doesn't. Instead, he tears the house down, brick by brick, till there's no house left. And then he gets a hammer and he starts to dig up the foundations until there's nothing left but a great big hole. And I thought he was just going to move in. But he doesn't. You see, oh, excuse me. We're getting somewhere. Excuse the mess. <laughs> Now, here we are. Very simple. Is that what you wanted? <laughs> and the answer is, yeah. It's exactly what I wanted. And God will whisper in your ear, you need a bigger pot. That's the problem. And you can't transplant like that. I need you to be stripped right back and I will prepare for you a bigger and better pot and a bigger and better future. But you've got to let the vine dresser do his work. Never mind what people say. Reject it. Receive the, receive the rod and the staff. Receive the sanctifying hand of God in whatever way it comes. I have been blessed, Lord, because you have afflicted me. I have been blessed, greatly blessed. More blessed than anything else that's ever happened in my whole life. Because of affliction. Because of pain. Bring it on. I want to give you the chance this morning. Stay in your seat. Don't play games with God. 
don't mess around, please. Be very serious. You've all got pains. You've all got troubles and strifes. But if you're willing this morning to say, do you know what? I accept them. I accept my anguishes. I accept them. Lord, I accept them. And I stand on my feet and I say, thank you. A very strange thank you. And if you will do that, you begin the process of deliverance. You begin the the true process of deep sanctification within yourself, which is ultimately the goal of God. If you're willing to do that with me, then stand to your feet and accept his hand. The first book ever written, Job, all about the ability to say thank you no matter what comes our way. And God, as a company of your people here this morning, we accept our lives. We accept the good and the bad. We accept it all. Ultimately, you are king. You are sovereign. And today we acknowledge that. And we say thank you. We consider it pure joy because we know you're here. We know you're with us. God, gave us, give us the strength like Job to stand our ground, not to waver, to hold our tongue and not to curse God in the face of calamity, but to praise him as Job did. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. You are the all-wise God, help us not to speak words without knowledge. God, bless these people. Bless every one of them. Give them the strength to push through.